Anybody remember the golden era of the mall arcade? Remember that? I don't know. Like, I guess there's still more mall arcades. Yes, you still go, don't you? Um, I know there's still more mall arcades. I think there's probably like a sweet spot like in the late 70s, early 80s. Uh, I was hitting it mid to late 80s, but still, like, I have this memory of going to the mall, and it was just like going to go to the arcade. I lived in a small town, and our arcade was dinky, but my dad would give me five or ten bucks, and I was like a millionaire. And I walk in there like, what? You know what? And so I'm just, I'm dropping 75 cent on a game because I'm a high roller at the beginning, right? I'm just putting stuff in. And you know, the goal of the arcade is to win those little tickets so that you can get the four foot tall Scooby-Doo. That's what every kid doesn't need, a four foot tall Scooby-Doo. Tell my daughter that, please. Um, but that's the goal. You want to get the biggest prize. And so you're getting these tickets. And so I would just burn through my money in the first, you know, 15 minutes. Um, Here's some classics from, from, from my memory. Uh, you might remember different ones, uh, but here's one from my memory. Remember Mortal Kombat? I don't know how good that picture is for you. Oh, man, more, finish him. You know, uh, Mortal Kombat, that was one. I dropped in a couple quarters on that. Never saw, like, you know, very much of the game because you lose quick, but it's okay. It's okay. I uh, remember this guy. This is, this is for some of the younger group, but remember this, man, the first Ninja Turtles game? I'm not talking about none of this new junk. No, this is, like, number one. I remember my friend Kevin got the Ninja Turtles arcade game on his Nintendo. I was like, what? We can play this for free? Like, this is... And then we found out like what the third level looked like, because we'd never seen that before. Um, so, you know, that's, that's um, Ninja Turtles. But here's the thing. Th- these games didn't earn you tickets. And to get the four-foot-tall Scooby-Doo, you got to get the tickets. And so I would try my hand at the little free-throw shot. And I'm pretty sure they make those balls too big for the hoop. Um, don't tell me that you're good at that game, because um, I don't even want to know. I don't even want to know how bad I am at that game. But you're shooting the hoop. But you try, you get a few tickets. But then you know what you got to do. The mother load for all tickets. Where do you go? Thank you. Skee-ball. That means that we're on the same planet. This is how you get the four-foot-tall Scooby-Doo, right? So you go to Skee-ball, and you get a million tickets, and... Here's the deal. I'm talking about this because here, I would walk in and I have, you know, if my dad was feeling real generous, he'd give me the 10 bucks. Maybe I'm at five bucks, but whatever. You, you blow through like 90% of your money in the first 10 minutes, but dad would drop me off for an hour. So now I've got like my last four quarters and I'm walking around for 45 minutes like, let's see. What? Oh, that, that's, that's $2. Can't play that one, man. What does he think? You know, you're walking around, you're like, because you got to be careful how you spend that last four quarters. It's all you got. You can't, and you know, you got to get the most bang for your buck. Um, I don't go to arcades anymore. Um, I can get most of those games on my cell phone and never pay for them. Um, but I have had that feeling in life, like I'm walking around with my last four quarters. You know what I'm saying? Whew. Uh, got to be more careful with how, and I'm not just talking about our fun money. I'm talking about other areas of our life. This is an analogy. <laughs> uh, the older I get, yeah, I want to clarify for you. The older I get, the more I realize that, you know, life is short and our choices are important. And especially uh, when we've probably made some poor ones already and we're left with what we got. And I really hope that I've got more than, you know, literally four quarters left. I hope, I hope that I've got like more life left than that. But with what I've got left, I want to make the best choices and not just to win the four foot tall Scooby-Doo, but to say, man, I did good with my life. I did, I did what I could. Here's the point as we get rolling today. Our choices matter. And some of the choices that we make cost us more than others. And so we've got to know what it means to choose wisely what we put our life into. And you've seen this. Maybe you've noticed this. Um, There are six uh, billion shows on Netflix. And sadly, there's only 24 hours in a day. 
And your friends are like, you haven't seen that show? What planet are you from? I'm like, I'm like six shows behind. I'm sorry. I don't know what you do. I, I sleep, you know? And so, but do, do, you know, we have a limited amount of time. The choices we make on Netflix, we've got to use them wisely. Uh, but maybe, uh, you know, more, a little more seriously, maybe you're on a diet and you're counting calories. And you're like, man, I just, I want that chocolate cake. By the way, I heard that like celery is negative calories. Is that true? And so does that mean like you could eat like eight slices of pizza and then eat like 26 sticks of celery? It doesn't work? All right. Willie's tried it and it doesn't work. I was just thinking like math, like you add negatives to positives and it like cancels out. Yeah, try it, Jeff. Let us know. Um, so, but maybe for you, it's literally four quarters. It's money, you know? And you've seen like, man, I just, I don't have the money that I need to do what I need to do. And, and money is tight. And so choices matter. How you spend that money. Maybe you've been in some crazy relationships, Maybe you've been in a dating relationship that ended poorly, and you're like, man, I'm holding these last four quarters tight. Like, ain't nobody getting these quarters because I've been burned. And so whatever it is in life, we, we know that feeling of getting, seeing our resources and going, man, I got to be careful with that. I got to know how I'm going to spend that. When life happens, we become more aware that we've got to be selective about what we invest in. And I'm not talking about money and financial stuff right now. This is about choices, what we invest in, what we commit to, and who we follow. Who is going to influence us? And how are we going to decide how we make these choices? And so today we're continuing in this Hope is Rising series. Uh, it takes us through the final week of Jesus' life uh, before he goes through this final act of a crucifixion and a, a resurrection, which is the Easter story. It's a beautiful story, and we'll tell it more and more as we get through this series. But we're calling this series Hope is Rising because hope is something that our world needs so desperately. You watch the news, you pick up a newspaper, if you still do that, you're scrolling through your Facebook feed, you just meet your friends, and you just hear about all the craziness that's going on in the world, whether it's, you know, uh, on a very personal level, uh, financial problems or failed marriages or, or drug abuse or, or terrorism or school shootings or, or just legal stuff and political stuff that's going on behind these various things, natural disasters, and they're getting worse and worse, it seems, every year. I think the media coverage is just better, and so we're more aware, and so we look at the world and we're just like, Man, we need hope. Like, life is hard. I know it's not all doom and gloom, uh, but there is, and there's plenty of good out there, obviously. We've, ha- we've got sunny days. We've got good families, and we need all that. But if you look out into the world that we live in, there's this desperation. And we talked last week about this inevitability of disappointment, uh, that things f- rust and things wind down and batteries die, and that's just like a law of nature. It's entropy. It's just that's what happens to life So what do we do? Well, the story of Jesus is the story of God coming into a world that was down to his last four quarters and saying, look, I can, not only can I do something with what you've got, but I can give you something that the world can't give you. Entropy is a natural law. Entropy is the law that says everything eventually declines into disorder. That's just what nature does. Decay happens. But God says, I'm not natural. I'm supernatural. And I can pour into this. I created this, and I can fill you back up. And so not only is hope available, it's rising. Hope is for us, and that's what the story of Jesus is. Um, every week at Venture Church, we go to the Bible for the answers to life's most important questions. So if you've got a Bible, go ahead and grab it. Pull it out today. Feel free to use your phone um, uh, and grab an app or just look it up on the Internet. We're going to be again in the book of Mark, uh, chapter... 14 this week, um, and uh, if you want to go flip over to Mark chapter 4, Mark is one of the four biographies of Jesus' life, 
And in this story, uh, in this, the book of Mark, I, I love it because Mark is a really short book. Um, and, and if you're not a, a reader or you, you're like intimidated by big books, Mark is very short. And so it'd be a great place if you haven't ever just div- dived into the Bible. Uh, you could learn a lot about who Jesus was and what he did in the book of Mark. It's in the New Testament, the last third of your Bible. Today we're going to check in uh, on Jesus. And, and right now what we're checking in, Mark 14, he's about one week away from his crucifix- crucifixion, which is this... The, execution he's going to undergo uh, at the hands of the government there. And he's surrounded by a group of people who are looking for hope. So flip over there. We're going to jump in. Mark chapter 14, starting at verse 1. All right, here we go. Now the Passover and the festival of unleavened bread were only two days away. And the chief priests and the teachers of the law were scheming to arrest Jesus secretly and kill him. Love verse 2. But not during the festival, they said, or the people may riot. Let's unpack that a little bit. We're going to keep going in a second. Okay, so we get into the story. I want to set the stage for a little bit. We talked about it a little bit last week, but I want to, in case you missed it last week, kind of get you on the same page with us. They're at Jerusalem, major metropolis city in this area, and all the people in the city are celebrating this, this festival, this season called the Passover. It's a week-long celebration. Very much like the 4th of July for the Jewish people. It was the celebration of their uh, emancipation from slavery uh, to the Egyptians. They had been slaves to the Egyptians in their ancient history for 400 plus years. And so every year they celebrated this, this Passover festival, which was the history of that. Uh, and there were uh, many, many sacred festivals to the Jews. They were a, a celebrating people. But the Super Bowl of holidays for them was the Passover. Okay, So people made pilgrimages in to Jerusalem. The city is busting at the seemed and you got this this uh, kind of if you've lived here long azalea fest feel or like the the week that college starts <laughs> feel you're like where did all these people come from i forgot that they wanted to be here so you know the seam is the, the city's kind of busting at the seams i just picture i don't know the deep fried oreo truck is over here and like there's this guy selling like cheap lightsabers to kids i don't know like this it's just this big excited environment that's happening but this year, the festival is extra exciting. This is some of the stuff we talked about last week, because there's this new guy named Jesus. And for the last three years, he's been just, people are excited about him. And there's rumors going around that, that he might have, he might actually be uh, this political messiah that they were looking for. In fact, there was this kind of rumor that was like, hey, this Jesus guy, I heard he's going to start a rebellion and overthrow the Romans who are here. The Roman Empire had moved into this area. They had taken over the area. And so that was some of the rumor. Jesus was going to be this political and and military messiah. There was another rumor going around, too, about Jesus. I heard that he does amazing miracles. He heals people. And I heard that, like, just last week, he raised a guy from the dead. This was literally the story that was going around. Now, these two rumors were kind of at odds with each other because one was true and one wasn't true. It was true that he had been doing miracles. In fact, it was true that he had raised a guy from the dead just like a week earlier. But it wasn't true that he had come to be a political messiah. He didn't come to raise an army against the Romans. He didn't come to start a war or cause a revolt. He came for spiritual reasons. But something had happened. Remember last week? What did he call for? Anybody remember? Fulfillment of a prophecy, he called for the donkey. Remember that? Yeah, y'all remember now. He called for the donkey. And there was this long-time prophecy that people knew was going to happen, that when this Messiah figure came, there was going to be uh, several things that came to pass, and one was that he was going to ride into town on a donkey, and that had just happened. So the political buzz, uh, the spiritual buzz, the religious buzz is all surrounding around this guy, Jesus. 
And as we just uh, read, though, uh, there are some people who didn't like him. You don't get that popular without getting a few enemies. And so we see that this group of people are planning an assassination plot against Jesus. But they're no fools. Uh, they, they say, yeah, let's kill him, only let's not kill him during the festival. It's a happy time. That'd be bad. Plus, he's pretty popular. <laughs> and if we kill the popular guy, like, I mean, there's like a, a lot of people here, and they're not going to like it because he's very popular right now. Mark just gives us a little teaser there. He steps into Jerusalem. He tells us about the climate there. And then he does something that Mark does a lot. He just jumps to the next story. And so we hear uh, the festival's still going on. There's people that want to kill Jesus, but they're not going to do it yet. Time out. Let's step over and look at another story real fast. And so we're going to take a look at that story now in verse 3. We're going to head over to a little, little suburb of Jerusalem called Bethany. All right, And this is actually a place where Jesus goes all the time. And so we're going to read the story. It's, it's, it's something that happened all the time, this little party that we're going to be at. But then something really weird happens. Look at it. Mark 14, verse 3. While he was in Bethany, talking about Jesus, while he was in Bethany, reclining at the table in the home of Simon the leper, a woman came with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume made of nard, pure nard. She broke the jar and poured the perfume on his head. So we've moved from Mark telling us about the scene of excitement in Jerusalem and this assassination plot to this house. We're in a place called Bethany. There's a group of people there, and somebody's dumping expensive perfume on Jesus' head. This is weird. Um, it's, a weird it's a weird moment. Jesus, uh, Mark doesn't give us a lot of details on this woman or this house, but there are a few other details that we can pull out of the other stories that were written about it, so we're going to kind of pull those together. I'm going to give it to you right now. Uh, first of all, let's talk about the place. We're in Bethany, and we're in this home. Um, this area, Bethany, uh, was just a few miles outside of Jerusalem, and it was very important to Jesus. Jesus uh, would go there. Whenever he was in Jerusalem, it seemed he would always go spend some time in Bethany. Some of his best friends lived there. If you read much of the story of Jesus, you might know about uh, two sisters named Mary and Martha. They also had a brother named Lazarus, and they were very close friends to Jesus, and they would go hang out. Uh, Jesus, when he was in town in Jerusalem, he would go out to Bethany, and he would hang out with them, just like you would do. If you would go to a city, who would you go stay with? If you had friends there, you'd go to their house. You wouldn't just go pay for the Holiday Inn. You might be antisocial. You might do that. But you might also just want to go spend some time at your friend's house, do the cookout, and then go stay at the Holiday Inn Express. That's fine. But Jesus goes and stay with his friends. Um, now, this is interesting. Uh, some people think that this house that they're in, in Bethany, in this story, might have actually been Mary and Martha and Lazarus's house. Now, I know when we just read in verse 3, it said it was the home of Simon the leper. And so I don't want to cause any unnecessary confusion. But... Uh, they did houses different back in the day. Like, you know, people shared houses, broader families lived in a household. It wasn't like everyone needs four bedrooms for their three people. Like, it was, no, everyone's sharing a house. And so a lot of people kind of think that maybe this was uh, Mary and Martha's and, and Lazarus' house. It doesn't matter what you, what you, where you fall on that. It's just a, a neat thing because there was something interesting about Lazarus. Uh, see, Lazarus, what had happened was Lazarus had died recently, and Jesus had recently risen him from the dead. So that's pretty cool. Now, here, here's the thing. Lazarus, more than likely, if there was a party in Bethany, Mary and Martha were some of Jesus's best friends. Lazarus had just risen from the dead. He's fresh out of the grave. And there's a party going on, and Jesus is there. I'm going to tell you who was probably there, whether it was his house or not. Lazarus and Mary and Martha. 
because they're hanging out. They're boys. It's like, hey, I'm in town. Let's get together. It's very, very hospitable communal society. So they were probably there. So we're in Bethany. I want to set that stage because it is important as we get moving on. Secondly, the second thing we need to know about this story is this guy, Simon the leper. Now it says it was the home of Simon the leper. Now, the thing we do know about leprosy, I mean, it's something that, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's been all over the world, and it's something there's a lot to know about, but we read about it several times in biblical times because it was a very, very fatal disease. Once you contracted it, it was incurable. It was a nervous disorder, uh, nervous system disorder, and all kinds of different things would happen to your system as, as those uh, nerve endings got destroyed. And once you contracted leprosy, you were kind of exiled from the outside of the town you lived in. And you lived in a leper colony. And people uh, kind of stayed very clear of you. And if you walked towards a group of people, you would be clapping your hands or ringing a bell or banging some sticks together saying, I'm unclean. I'm unclean. I just want to let you know. As a courtesy, like when someone has the flu, you're like, please don't come to work. You know, this is leprosy and it's much worse. This is called the house of Simon the leper. And, and some people speculate this. And I, I like this. I, I kind of take this camp. That it's called the house of Simon the leper because maybe it was a little tongue-in-cheek little joke. Because what's one thing Jesus did a lot of with people with leprosy? Anybody know? He, he healed them. And some people would say maybe this Simon guy did live there. And uh, he had leprosy, but he didn't have it anymore. And so that's why they would call it the house of Simon the leper because it's like, just want to let you know. This is the story here. That's just, that's a speculation. But those two pieces of the puzzle bring you to a really interesting scenario. Because if Simon had been one of the lepers that he had healed, and for sure Lazarus was raised from the dead, you couldn't ask for a better group of people to represent who Jesus is in Bethany. Can you imagine this story? You show up at the Passover party, and you come to the door, and the guy that meets you says, hey, I'm Simon. You remember me? Yeah, I'm, so you used to call me Simon the leper. You used to run and scream when I would walk into the room, but I'm better now, sucker. Jesus healed me. And they've got this story of what Jesus' power can do. And then you walk over, and who else do you meet? Lazarus. Hey, this is Simon. Hey, let me introduce you to my friend Lazarus. Uh, he died. Hey, Lazarus, tell that story by the time you died. Yeah, that was so, I love this. I love it. Get to the part where you come out of the grave. And you, you got this room full of people. This is the picture I want us to see. When you come to Bethany, and Jesus is at a party which is kind of being held in his honor, these are people who knew the power of Jesus. At this point, some of Jesus' closest followers had really rallied in around him. And they're coming together for a really special moment as Jesus is celebrating this big festival with them. Um, so, in the middle of this party, something really weird happens. A lady walks in the room. The passage says, a woman came with an alabaster jar. And it's cool that the book of John also tells the story because John was, was one of uh, Jesus' closest friends, and he was there that day too. And John fills us in on a little detail. He lets us know that the woman's name was Mary. Now, it's interesting that if some people think this might have been the home of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, and this lady's name was also Mary, there's a high likelihood. There were a lot of Marys. This could have also been the same Mary. doesn't matter, but it could be also neat. Um, Mary walks into the room. And we don't know a lot about this particular Mary, whether it was that Mary or a different Mary. But what we do know is that she's got a prized possession. It's a, a very special container. Our English Bible calls it a jar. But don't think mason jar, you know, like you put your canned peaches in. Like that's, this is not the kind of jar. It actually isn't glass at all. Uh, alabaster is a, a soft mineral stone. 
And, and, and what you would do is you would carve out kind of a cavity inside. Uh, at our men's retreat, we might have tried to do it with a lathe, but I don't think it would work. But, you know, you carve out like a little piece of, of chunk of a hole inside there, and then you'd fill it with uh, a valuable oil or a perfume, and then they would plug the hole. And it would seal and dry. And the only way to open this jar would be to break it open. And it was reserved for very, very special ceremonies, a wedding or a funeral or the dedication of a home or something. And the oils that were put in there were very expensive. Uh, these aren't your uh, Amazon.com uh, like essential oils that you're getting. This, this, is like, this is like a very valuable, it would become like a fa- family heirloom. It would be like the most valuable thing in a home possibly. And so Mary comes out and what does she do with this thing? She just breaks it on the ground. In a second, they're going to say that this, that this jar of perfume might be worth about a year's wages. How much do you make in a year? Would you spend that, one, on a jar of perfume oils? And two, how would you feel if your kids broke it in the kitchen floor? <laughs> now, here's the thing. I, I've, uh, I've had a lot of people over my house for dinners and things. I've had people in my house that I really respect. The kind of thing where you're like, okay, let's make sure everything's right. You know, let's get this. We have their favorite drink. You're like, is there ice in the freezer? Like, you know, uh, I've had these moments. And if my wife came from the back room with like our most valuable possession, <laughs> and she like walked in, she was like, breaks it on the ground and starts dumping the contents on my honored guest's heads, that would be weird. Are you with me? Like, this is a weird scene. Like, we read scenes from the Bible like, oh, yeah, of course, she dropped, she broke the alabaster jar and poured it on his head. Like, no big deal. Everybody's doing that. No, nobody's doing this. This is really weird. And so I thought it was weird, uh, but I'm not the only one. The people who were at the party thought it was weird. Okay, we're going to keep reading the passage. Verse 4, some of those present were saying indignantly to one another, why this waste of perfume? Verse 5, it could have been sold for more than a year's wages, and the money could have been given to the poor. And they rebuked her harshly. Yeah, I thought it was weird. They thought it was weird. But here's a really interesting thing. Jesus, he didn't think it was weird. It didn't bother him. Um, I love Jesus' reply to these guys. Mark 14, verse 6. He says, Jesus has a lot of great one-liners. This is one of my favorites. He says, leave her alone. <laughs> I love that. It's actually not, not a real one-liner because he keeps talking. But I like, I hope there's sometimes... When Jesus just says to stuff for me, would you leave him alone? <laughs> like, I just pray for that sometimes. But he says, leave her alone. Why are you bothering her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you. And you can help them anytime you want. I love this thing. that We do this. These guys were like, you could have sold that perfume and, and you could have helped the poor. I'm like, oh yeah? Well then why haven't you done that already? You were keeping it in the back cabinet. Don't act like you were going to sell that and you had the proceeds to the poor, you liar. You're just angry because that was valuable and you didn't want to break. So Jesus sees right through that. And he's like, look, and by the way, you're going to have the poor with you all the time. You can help them anytime you want. But you will not always have me. She did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. Spoiler alert. Jesus has been dropping hints like this for a long time and they're not picking it up. In a few weeks, he's going to give his life. In verse 9, he says, But truly I tell you, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. And he was right, because here we are. (laughs) I'm a student of storytelling. I love how stories have this power to create a moment and, like, convince you of something. You hear a good story, you're like, yeah, I'll, I'll buy that dish detergent. 
I will. It cleans ducks. Like, it could definitely clean my dishes. I'm positive. Man, I need to go save some ducks. Um, Y'all have the same feeling? I don't know. Um, But a good story has the ability to really move you. And I think that's why God used stories to teach us about who he is. And the power of storytelling is undeniable. Uh, As I looked at the best stories, like throughout literature, uh, everything from like a Charles Dickens to, you know, like a science fiction, like a Star Wars type story, everything from Lord of the Rings to a sitcom uh, to a comic strip, like whatever random novel or biography you pick up, the most powerful stories are the ones that take a massive idea up here, somewhere in the ether of ideas, and they boil it down and they zoom into the life of one person. We call that person the main character. And we don't care what's happening in the world, Lord of the Rings. It's a bad situation. Like, mountains are melting, okay? But we're like, man, I hope that little hobbit makes it, man. (laughs) A little fella, poor guy, he needs to comb his feet, you know? Like, there's like, there's something about a, a person. We care about their story. And this, we, we empathize with who they are. The most powerful stories will zoom into the life of one story. And so Jesus is part of this massive story. I mean, like, eternally massive story. And he's God who came down from heaven. And now he's been traveling for over three years. And he has preached to crowds of tens of thousands of people. And he's spoken to some of the most powerful people in, at the time. And he's healed people of all kinds of things. And all this huge idea. And he's talking about re- returning to God and, like, grace and love and repentance and all these huge concepts and we zoom in from that huge story to the life of one lady and her jar of perfume and in this moment Jesus is like she gets it she gets it she gets all this because of what she's doing right here she gets the point the point that Jesus has been trying to make through all of this big spectacle of being God in human form he says listen I bring a hope to the world that is worth more than your family's most valuable possession. I bring a hope to the world that is worth taking whatever is the most important thing of your life and straight up breaking it on the ground and giving it to me. That's my story. That's the hope of Jesus. And Mary goes all in. I was in Las Vegas a few years ago and, uh, I was going to this this event there, and it was crazy. I was in my hotel. You meet, like, you thought Asheville was weird. You know, Las Vegas is a whole different thing. And so I'm getting on this elevator, and, uh, and the dude, uh, there's, there's, there's some rules in the elevator. You know the rules. If you're, like, if you were raised in civilization, you know the rules of the elevator. Um, there are two ways you can act in an elevator. The first way is you get in, and you, you silently stare at the wall, and you pretend like no one else exists until you get to your floor and you get off, right? The, the other way is you pretend like you're best friends with the people that you're on the ride for 13 seconds with. And there's like, there's two ways, and some people kind of ride the fence. And so I'm kind of, a, I'm kind of an in-between kind of guy, but I met a guy on the elevator that chose option two. Um, <laughs> I remember we're in Las Vegas. And uh, so his, his option was pretend like I'm best friends for 13 seconds. And this dude leans in very close to my face, and he... <laughs> So close that I could very distinctly tell which beverage he had recently consumed. And he says, Monday night. Monday night. It's Monday night, brother. It's Monday night. 
Tonight is the night. I feel it. I feel it in my bones. I lost everything at the tables last night, but that's okay. I got my last $100, and it's Monday night. And then he goes on to tell me for the next 13 seconds how he, uh, Monday night, it was October, there was a football game on. And he took some really high odds on this, like, weird thing that was going to happen in the football game. And he put everything on that, that thing happening. Man, if I win, dude, I'll be a millionaire by midnight. <laughs> he was convinced, like, this is happening. This is so happening. I know I don't have any money left, but it's fine. It's fine, because it's Monday night. And so, um, ding, it's my floor. Good to meet you. I get off, and then the door, and someone else gets on, and the door closes. And I hear him leaning to go, Monday night. <laughs> <laughs> it was a long time till the game was over. I guess he was just waiting it out. Um, so when we talk about someone going all in on something, uh, that's not how you do it. <laughs> that's not how you do it. Um, Mary saw something in Jesus that was solid. And what Mary does here is not a gamble. And sometimes when, when we look at, at faith, we feel like it's a gamble. We're like, man, there's a lot of options out there. A lot of things I could do with my life. Monday night. Mary, if this is Mary, the brother of Lazarus, her brother had risen from the dead. And even if it wasn't her brother, her neighbor Lazarus had risen from the dead, and she had heard Jesus speak. And she had seen his integrity and his character and his action. And in the moment, the bigness of God's story comes down into the single choice of a woman to take her last four quarters and give it all to Jesus. And say, I'm all in. Like, I don't know what happens from here, but I can't do this on my own. And I don't know her story. I'm not going to paint some story like, and she was going through a hard time, and it was a bad day at work, and the coffee was out. And like, I don't, I don't know her story. But here's the thing. Here's what I know about me and what I can pretty fairly assume about us. We've had bad days. We've had days where we were down to our last quarters, or maybe we were like, man, I'm actually pretty good. I got like 20 bucks. You know, because maybe things are working out all right for you right now. But it matters what we choose. It matters who we invest in. It matters who we follow. And it matters how we live our lives. Jesus gives us something. Mary, Mary gave Jesus a jar of perfume. And it was expensive. It was probably a hard choice. I, I imagine her back in her room like, am I really going to do this? This is expensive. And, but she gave him the gift of breaking that open and saying, yeah, I, I, I'm with you. I want you to know. And, and it, the, the significance of the oil and putting it on something, someone, and, and, and that, that's very significant in their culture. And that kind of gets lost in translation with us. I don't want us to miss that little point because it's important. Um, but the idea that she gave him that is huge. And then what did she get in return? Well, man, Jesus gave her the gift of faith. Something to believe in when she ran out of answers, gave her purpose, gave her peace, but most of all, hope. And no matter what happens with all of this, I've got you. And all she wanted to do was say thank you. Um, this is the same story we see over and over and over. When people meet Jesus, they realize that he's worth laying it all down. And so I don't know where you are in that story. Uh, you, might, uh, you might be here for the first time today, or you've been coming for a few weeks, or you've never done church before at all, and you're just here, and you're like, I, I don't know, breaking stuff seems less, 
I mean, it seems like a, it seems like a big leap from where I am, and I get that. We, we're all there at some point in our lives, and so I think I think there's something here for you, though. I, I hope that what you hear is that man. There are a lot of people who have solid reasons to believe that Jesus is worth investing our lives in, living for Him, because we see the power of His miracles. We see the compassion that He gives to the hurting. Isn't that what? Our world wants more than anything. We're trying to say which, who's more compassionate, who, ha, who cares more about the hurt. Jesus is like, I care the most. I care the most. I came down from heaven. I laid my life down. I gave people a path back to God. We see the impact of Jesus' unconditional love both through his story and through his followers. We see the truth in his teaching because truth proves itself over time. And time and time and time and time again, what Jesus teaches ends up being the best, me- best method the reality uh, that was becoming more and more true about Jesus is that Jesus really was God in the flesh and that those who put their faith in him would have hope for eternity as well as in this life. And in Jesus was hope, and Mary saw that. And that's kind of the same decision we get to make today. What am I going to do, like daily? Not like, I was 12 years old and I like, I don't know, I walked up at a revival and I gave my life to Jesus. I'm not living for him or anything, but... Like, I'm all in. No, no, that's not all in. All in is like, man, look, every decision I make, I want to run it through the filter. of what, what is Jesus' role in this? And how can I shine his light into a world that's full of darkness? And how can I let him make a difference? Jesus once said this. He said, I am the light of the world. And whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Jesus says, this is the gift I'm giving you. I can shine my light, holiness, sinlessness, hope, peace, rest, purpose. These are the things that come from the illumination of Jesus' life. And he said, I've got that for the world. What does that mean for me and you? Well, I think it means that we have a choice to make. Like, like the kid at the arcade, <laughs> we come into each day with a pocket full of change. And sometimes we run away just putting coins in anything with a slot. Like, I'm just going to invest in this. I'm going to take nine hours to do this thing. We do it with our careers. We do it with our relationships. We do it with our hobbies and our free time. We do it with what we watch on TV and what we listen to. Uh, On the the radios, what we watch on the internet, the people that we hang out with. All of these things are what we're investing our life in. And my guess is that if you're like me, you've made some bad choices. You've spent too many of your quarters in some of the wrong places. This is what I love about Jesus. He says, like, I know that. I know about your past. I know what you've done. I know where you've been. That's fine. Just come to me now. I forgive you. This is, it's gone. Psh, done. There might be some lingering consequences from that stuff. That's, that's, that happens. That's life. But as far as me and you are concerned, we're good. I forgive you. Now, just love me starting now. And it leaves us with a question to answer. Um, how can we be like Mary? You know, how can we go all in? What does it mean for you? What, what is it that you need to break open? What is the thing that you're holding on to? Maybe uh, you're here for the first time and you're new to church and, and, and maybe you're just like, okay, I don't know, but here's my invitation to you. Just come back one more week. Uh, Easter's in two weeks. You can stick it out. Two weeks. You know, Easter's a big day at church. Come on. It'd be great to have you back. But like, maybe just stick it out and like, hear more about who this Jesus thing is and watch some Christians try to live it out, and, and that, that'd be great. That'd be a great thing for you to do. Maybe that's something you could break open just a couple hours on Sunday morning. Or maybe you're someone who's been doing church for a while, but... You've put your trust in other things. Maybe good things, your job, your reputation, your family, your bank account. But what happens when that stuff runs out? 
We can't put our hope in those things. Jesus says, come to me and I will give you rest. He's got the power. He's the one that has the ability to do that. Maybe you need to just continue to go back to him for your hope, for your answers, not those other things. Uh, maybe you put your trust in unhealthy things. And this seems to be common, you know, addiction or, or are you brooding in anger? This is something that's so, so common in our culture. Maybe your big thing is uh, anxiety and depression. And like you just, you find, actually you find strength in worrying the heck out of everything. You're like, man, if I can just if I can just worry about this more, like I'll at least I'll know what's wrong. <laughs> and like, that doesn't help anything. It doesn't work. It just gets you frozen in the moment. Like, what does it look like for you to take those things and say, look, I I don't know, but I'm just gonna try my best to learn to turn it over to God, psychologically, mentally, maybe physically. Maybe there's some things you need to give to a good friend that says, like, I can't do this by myself. I need a hand. I need to go do some therapy. Like, I just need to get some of this off. I can't handle this by myself. I need to work this out. And let Jesus be the place where you find hope, not those other things. I'm thankful that in the huge story of Jesus, he zooms down to the life of a lady with a, a jar of perfume. Then we get to see what it looks like to lay it all down. And I hope that as, as a group, as a family, a church family, that we can say, yeah, I want to do that too. I want to do it for the sake of my family. I want to do it for the sake of my neighborhood. I want to do it for the sake of my city. I want to take my own mental health and my own safety. I want to take whatever I feel is giving me the strength and the, and the support in my life to just do what needs to be done. I, I want to turn that over to God. I'm thankful that Mary did that. We know she was bold, and we learn from her what it means to go all in on Jesus. Uh, listen, hope is never lost when Jesus is around, and it's something I've got to remind myself of all the time. Hope is rising. Let's pray together. God, thank you for Mary. Uh, this weird little story in the Bible. Um, lady breaking over a jar of perfume. Um, but God, I just praise you for the opportunity we have to unpack scripture and, and know what it means to just live in the moment we're in now. And God, as we get the opportunity to love you back, I pray for this group of people. Um, some of them I know so well. Some of my best friends. Uh, some that I maybe even haven't met yet. Um, I pray that through this community we can all find that support group that we need, uh, that accountability, that love, uh, that as we look to reflect your light back into our world, we can take care of the brokenness and the pain and the need, but not by our own power, but only by yours. You are good. We thank you so much for hope and that it's rising, and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.